Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Ephesians chapter 3. Good morning. Okay. Okay. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if you indeed have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gifts of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of the Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the internal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart as my tribulations for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, that's a a genuine expression of gratitude towards you this morning because of the gift of your word before us. And as we come before you now in this time of biblical observation, of, of, of studying your word, of looking into what you have said, what you've inspired. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared by you, that we would be ready as we come to you now. Whether we feel it or think it or not, we're here for you. You've brought us here for something that you want to do in this time, something specific for right where we're at, right in this moment, in this season of life, God, even for this week. And so, Lord Jesus, we just want to offer this moment to you in your word, this this gathering here. We want to give it to you and ask God for you to have your way. Holy Spirit, come, fall, fill us, and speak to us. God, would you speak? We pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okie dokie. Well, here on uh, Sunday mornings through February and so far now the month of March, we have been walking through each week. We have a different section that we look at here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is originally a letter. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in modern day Turkey. This was sometime in the first century. Paul wrote this church as a pastor, checking in on this community of Christians that he has great history with. And so Paul writes this this letter. It's kind of interesting. We get to read 
someone else's mail. Uh, It wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us. And when you read the book of Ephesians, you really get a sense of that. The book of Ephesians has been called sort of the crown of of Pauline achievement. It's one of the mountain peaks of the mountain range of scripture. It is so rich with really like the, the central... Um, heartbeat of the Christian faith. Understanding if like you're here today and you're, you're seeking to get clarity around what, who, who Jesus is, what church is all about, like why have Christians been gathering and singing and studying like this for all these uh, really years, the centuries, and the book of Ephesians would be a great place to plug in and see uh, what the Christian faith is really all about. And you'll see it's, it's all about Jesus. Now, we've entitled this series to the faithful ones, as Paul is encouraging these faithful followers of Jesus to remain faithful in their positions in Christ. Um, that's, that's really Paul's heart for them, is, is to, to do everything they can to remain in Jesus, not to wander outside of who they are and where they've been positioned in Christ. That's really our greatest temptation as followers of Jesus. It's not just to fail to live for Jesus, but it's to move away from our position in Jesus. All right, and so that's what this book is really all about. And every week we're looking at a different aspect of that position, Through the gospel, we have been repositioned with a new standing in Christ, and each section gives us a different aspect of that. This morning, go ahead and jot this down. On these verses that Christina read over us, verses 1 through 13, here is what we're going to kind of let filter our exploration here, this big idea in this passage of perspective in Christ. It's kind of a theme that we see in these verses. We see a unique um, display of perspective in Jesus. Uh, There's a lot of great things that we've received in Christ, and you could file this up there with one of the greatest things that God has come to give us. He's come to give us perspective. Now, simply speaking, let's define perspective as easy as possible. Perspective is simply how you see what you see. Perspective isn't merely what you're seeing. It's not the the fact of the matter. It's not simply what you're observing. Perspective is the interpretation of what you're seeing. That's perspective. You ever met someone who uh, looked on at your circumstance or your life or or your point of view, and, and, and you guys were both looking at the same thing, but how they were seeing what you were seeing was com- completely different. Uh, this past week, I had uh, about an hour or so Um, an incredible moment for me to sit down with one of my mentors. His name is Casey Cleveland. He pastors the Avenue Church in Delray Beach, and he's a a big brother pastor to me who's been pastoring his church about 10 years longer than Solis has been here, and he's just been a great encouragement to me. He'll be preaching here next Sunday, actually, for our five-year anniversary to encourage us as a community. And I just can't tell you how valuable having someone in your life who can... um, interpret your life and give you fresh eyes to see your life. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's perspective. Um, by the way, we need more eyes on our lives than ourselves. We can be so comfortable with our own perspective, but it, it's why we need to be in community. It's why formation groups are here. It's why we need deep, meaningful relationships, because uh, you can have people in your life that, that, that can, listen, it's not that there's anything different to see, but how you see what you're going through matters. How you see your life it's all about perspective. Let me give a, a visual example of this, okay? 
how you see what you see. Anybody remember this optical illusion from fifth grade? Did some research on this. I remember seeing this as a young kid. Now, how many of you see the young lady, initially you see the young lady turning to the right, okay? How many of you see an older woman looking down towards the ground? Okay, now, it's, now based on the, the hand raising, there was a recent study that was done that said, uh, they did a, um, a study with this and they found that older folks tend to see the older lady. Younger folks tend to see the younger lady, but I just don't believe everything you read on the internet because Jimmy raised his hand, okay, for the old lady, all right? Um, so it's not necessarily true. I was going to make a great point there, too, about how, you know, the older generation sees things one way, and we need their perspective, and the older generation needs the younger generation's perspective. That's still true, but I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. Um, no, uh, all joking aside, maybe the more uh, recent... A visual of this has been, remember, this isn't even recent. This is like 10 years ago. I'm sorry to bring this up, but do you remember the, the white and gold dress? Do you remember this thing? Is it white and gold or is it blue and black? Okay, so that's kind of your modern version of the same optical thing where we're both looking at the same thing, but how we see what we see is a matter of perspective. You could even look at this from a couple different perspectives. How many of you guys, you're like, you should be like an X-Men because you can see both. You can see both, like you see both of them, Okay. I love that you just said I should be an X-Men, by the way, okay? I just made you do that. But um, um, this is what perspective is. Perspective is how you see what you see. Now, when Jesus announces one of the reasons why he's come, the Messiah, sent by God for humanity, he quotes from the Isaiah benediction. He says this. He reads from Isaiah in the temple, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus says, I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives. And notice this, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. One of the, the main descriptors of Jesus' ministry on earth was to give mankind sight to see that they couldn't see without him. He came to open blind eyes. Now, we know Jesus does this physically, doesn't he? Doesn't he? This is like one of the main miracles that Jesus accomplishes, and he does it different ways, but he opens people's literal physical blind eyes to see, but it's often used as an object lesson for the spiritual blindness that we all carry, the blind spots that you and I all naturally have. Like, I just want to put it out there. Let's just accept this all today. Here's what we all have in common. Today, as we sit here, we have, there are blind spots. We have blind spots in our life. There's stuff that you're walking through. There's things that you've already navigated that, listen, without Jesus, you'll only see one part of it. But one of the things he's come to do is to open our eyes, to open blind eyes, to see, notice this, from his perspective. From his perspective, he's that ultimate perspective. Now, the Apostle Paul, who's writing about his own ministry and experience here in Ephesians 3, is a great example of perspective in Christ. Like, if there's anyone who can be used as an, as an object lesson of Jesus opening blind eyes, it's Paul. Paul lived his life for a long time with one perspective, okay? Have you ever met someone like this who it's like, they're, they're like stubbornly um, loyal to their perspective, and, and, you, and they're the kind of person that's hard to talk to because no matter what facts you present to them, they're like, that is not a young lady, that is an old lady, no matter what. Well, you could say this was Paul. He was convinced that Jesus and the church of Jesus was nothing more than a threat to God's plan for the world. So much so that Paul's mission was to eradicate the Christian movement until 
God in his grace showed up and notice what he does. He literally blinds Paul's eyes. Paul gets knocked off a high horse in this encounter with Jesus. He goes blind for three days. It's a beautiful picture of how his whole sight is now gonna be changed. And his eyes are opened. His eyes are opened. We shouldn't count people out who, we, who we, we tend to write off as like, oh, their perspective is antithetical to the gospel. It's antithetical to the Bible. Listen, Jesus opens blind eyes. It's what he does. It's what he promised to do. We see this with Paul. In fact, Paul's ministry, as he's commissioned, is defined as like, Paul, you're now gonna go into the world. You once, you, you once lived against the mission of God. You're now gonna go as one, now that you see the glory of Jesus, you exist to advance the mission of God. And, and part of his mission was, in Acts 24, it says that Paul's mission was to open blind eyes himself. That, that's part of what he was sent to do. In fact, it was even in the verses that we read, it was Ephesians 3, 9, where Paul says in these verses that his mission is to make all see, to see what God has shown him, perspective in Christ, new eyes to see the same old things in a fresh new way. Now, in this passage that we read, we see Paul's perspective. This is, this is a man of great perspective. This is like that mentor or that friend that you would love to sit down with and allow them to look at what you're looking at and give you fresh eyes. Uh, and in this section, here's what Paul gives us. Write these four things down. Paul gives us um, four areas of perspective in his life. Paul gives us his perspective, and I think this will help us today as we interpret our own lives through these things, but Paul gives perspective first on his difficulty, the hard thing he's walking through. Paul then gives perspective on his ministry, the thing that he's been called by God to do. He gives perspective on his identity, on who he is standing before God, who he truly is. And then Paul gives perspective on his community, this church at Ephesus. In the spirit of the final four, I got four points for you, and I promise to get through all final four of them, okay? Difficulty, ministry, identity, community. Let's start with Paul's perspective on his difficulty. Paul begins by giving his perspective. Look at this great lens from scripture for us to see difficulty. Paul says to this church, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, and then a hard stop. Now, we're reading Ephesians, some of us, for the 20th time. I've read this hundreds of times, this verse here, especially studying this week. But the church at Ephesus is hearing this for the first time. When they receive this letter and it's being read over them, there is, after this verse, in the room, there is this loud, audible gasp. I know for us, like, we're accustomed to reading the Bible and being like, that's where, that's where Paul is mostly, is in jail. That's, like, his place. That's his spot. That's, like, prison is where God, like, prison ministry is, like, Paul's thing, okay? We're used to that. But, but this is right in the middle of this letter, this church is hearing for the first time, our beloved friend and leader, Paul, who has risked his life for us to know Jesus, he's in prison. Paul's writing from a, a Roman prison. He's actually on house arrest, and every night he has to be chained to a Roman guard to ensure that he doesn't escape. But I want you to notice what Paul says about his difficulty. Notice Paul's perspective on his difficulty. He says, I, Paul, he's telling this church, 
He's going to tell them, don't, don't worry. I'm a prisoner. But notice what he says. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Do you see that? That is not something to read by quickly. Uh, if, you're a, if you're like the Roman prison guard and you read this, you're going to be offended. If you're Rome, you're going to be offended. No, Paul, you're the prisoner of Rome. And Paul's like, no, no, I am the prisoner, notice this, of Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing? Do you see this insight into Paul's perspective? Paul sees his difficulty, his circumstance, his imprisonment, listen, as under the sovereign control of Jesus. This, this is contrasted with John the Baptist who gets thrown in prison and he starts questioning everything about Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? That's what John the Baptist said. Are you really the one or should we wait for another? Here I am in prison, Lord. I've done everything you told me to do. I voted the right way. I went to church the right way. I did all the right things. I tried to raise my family the right way and I've checked off the list and now I'm in prison. No, mind you, Paul is in prison, not because he's a thug and he's committing crimes. You know what I'm saying? Paul isn't in prison because he's a criminal in a righteous or unrighteous sense. Paul's in a prison because he's been faithful to Jesus and it's cost him now imprisonment. And yet Paul's perspective is, I'm right where Jesus wants me to be. I'm the prisoner, not of Rome. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. A way to think about this is Paul wasn't, though he was in prison, Paul wasn't imprisoned by his circumstance. Paul wasn't bound by what was binding him externally. Paul saw even his suffering as under the lordship of Jesus. He wasn't like surprised at this. Paul knew that he was, first of all, a part of the human race. And part of what it means to be human is to suffer in a fallen world. Suffering is, is a part of the human experience. It, it's what actually can get us closer together as a community. It's not just the victories of our lives, but when we connect in our struggles and our sufferings and in our pain. So Paul knew that was a part of his life, but he also knew that like this was a part of his actual mission and calling. You know, like you gotta be careful when you, when you pray for God to show you what his will for your life is because he might show you what he showed Paul. <laughs> Lord, I just want to know your will for my life. It's like, are you sure? I can tell you. You might not like it, all right? Um, when, when the Lord reveals his will to Paul, one of the things that, that Paul is told is all the different things that he's going to suffer for the gospel. This was going to be a part of following Jesus, was suffering for the sake of the gospel advancing so that one day he would even be in Boca Raton and in, in the Americas. Paul's mission to the Gentiles was going to involve his suffering. And that understanding, listen, that perspective enabled him to continue to trust Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to, to not lose heart even when he was in a prison cell. Paul says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not imprisoned by my circumstances. Paul would say the truest thing about my life, this is, by the way, this is one of the hardest things to believe when you're in a difficult circumstance because those prison walls can confine you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the prison walls of difficulty. And every day that you walk through the trial, it's like the smaller the prison gets and the more locked up it gets and the more difficult it gets. But for Paul, the power of that prison cell wasn't the truest thing about him. His identity was secure in Jesus. Um, so much so that I, I want you to notice this. Paul had a perspective that in this prison, 
in this circumstance he was in, it was under, I'm, the, Jesus has me here. Wherever, whether I'm a free man or a prisoner, I, I belong to Jesus, not the Romans. She's like, whatever God wants to do with my life, I'm available to him. But also notice that Paul believed that God was somehow going to use it. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ, he says, for you Gentiles. Later on in the verse, he'll say this, in verse 13, he says, don't lose heart at my tribulations. Don't be discouraged and sad that I'm in jail. I'm here for you. I'm in prison for you. They're like, oh, okay. I mean, that would be actually kind of discouraging. They're like, all right, good, Paul. I'm glad you're in jail, right? But, but no, Paul's like, I want you to see this from heaven's eyes. It might, be, it might be hard to see it from your vantage right now, what you're walking through, and I'm speaking to you personally. It might be hard to see how God could ever make anything good out of what you're walking through. But if you just ask Jesus for a little perspective, I'm telling you, he'll open your eyes. He does this to me almost every day when I find myself whining in my prison cell and I find myself questioning God. And I love, by the way, that there is space for that too. There is room to come before God and speak with him about your prison and go, God, why is this what I'm going through? But what God ultimately seeks to do is not deliver us from sometimes, not to deliver us from our prison, but God will often deliver us in our prison and he'll open our eyes and all of a sudden we'll, we'll start to see that, listen, my life isn't bound by this circumstance. I belong to him and he is able to do something even good out of this. If I can see what he sees. And that's the hardest part, isn't it? Trusting when you can't see what he sees. But that's the root of trust. The root of trust is God, I can't see what you see, but my security in life is what you see. It's what you're doing. It's where you're taking me. And so I, like Paul, could say, hey, I'm in prisoner, but I'm a, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not just the sufferer of my circumstances. I'm not imprisoned by what I'm going through. I belong to Jesus. The truest thing about me is that. He even, even, even a prison cell could be used for his glory. I mean, think about it. Uh, God used Paul's imprisonment for us this morning. Like we're literally studying the book of Ephesians. <laughs> we have one of the greatest Bible books inspired by God in scripture because of Paul's prison. We never know what sort of purpose is coming out of our pain. We never know what sort of purpose is coming out of our pain. Um, here's a picture of Penny Girl, my youngest. I had to pick a cute one because it's not been a cute week. <laughs> um, if you could see a little bandage on her foot, this is my youngest, she's my four-year-old. Uh, she's the little baby of the family. Um, and this past week on a Monday, I got a call, Brittany's like, you got to come home. And I, I, I kid you not, I think the call was like, you got to come home, there's blood everywhere. Hang up. And it was like, I think I got to go home. I said, I got to go to the gym. I got to go. Um, and we got home and found that Penny had a little, little accident. She was playing on Brittany's exercise bike, which we've told our kids repeatedly, um, this is in the parenting course, not to do. And I don't think they'll do it now. But, um, and so she, she cut kind of in the webbing. It's really nasty, like in the, the tough part of her, her toe. And, and uh, through some expert advice and some counsel and some help, we ended up taking her to the urgent care and she got seven stitches. I was just thinking like a couple weeks ago about how many stitches I had as a kid. I don't know what it was. Like if everything was sharper back then, I'm not sure. But like, <laughs> but um, and so maybe that was like God preparing me for what would happen. And so this is our first um, our first event here with, with Stitches. Um, and if you've been through this as a parent, the, the hardest part of this whole journey is having to hold Penny down when she's getting that lidocaine, when she's getting that shot, which goes right in the wound. And she is just looking at us. We're trying to have her watch Bluey as it's happening. 
But she's like, get Bluey out of my face, okay? <laughs> and we're comforting her. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're there for her. But there is this sense in which, like, that why would mom and dad, why, listen closely as the illustration kind of comes to application, why would you allow this pain? And you could feel that way sometimes with God. We're like, God, my, my pain threshold isn't this high. Like, don't you know what I can take, God? He just says, just trust me. You're mine. That's, here's what you need to know. I have my arms around you. And this was an object lesson for Brittany and I, even last week. This is how the Lord is with us. Sometimes I look at God, I'm like, God, why would you allow this pain? And he goes, it's, listen, there's a purpose for it. It's helping you. It's gonna help someone. Now, Paul has this incredible perspective in his difficulty. And I, I wanna just ask this last question about this. Where does Paul get this from? And, and I want to submit, he gets this perspective from Jesus. Think of Jesus as he is being arrested and betrayed and the soldiers are coming to arrest him and Peter, you know, don't tread on me, Peter, takes out his sword and he cuts off Malchus's ear in defense, trying to prevent the suffering, trying to prevent the inevitable. And Jesus takes Malchus's ear and he heals him. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Notice this, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Jesus encourages us, he invites us. He's like, just walk with me, I'm with you. I've been through this. You've got some hard cups to drink, but listen, trust that your father is sovereign and good. The good news is he's with you. And the good news is even if you don't see, he sees what's coming. And this is Paul. Paul's perspective in his difficulty. He goes, I'm the prisoner of Jesus. Now, this concept that Paul makes, it actually, so Paul's kind of, this is typical Paul, right? Um, I think it might be where I even get my own preaching and communication style from, but Paul will be going in a direction with a sentence. And then he'll be like, time out, let's go this way. Hold that thought right there. Can someone hold it? Okay, good. All right, we're gonna go this way. And then Paul will make like this big loop around the neighborhood and he'll come back to the thought. And so Paul starts the sentence with for this reason. And then next week, we're gonna look at verse 14 where Paul starts the sentence with for this reason. In other words, he's like, okay, anyway, what was I saying? So that's next week. So Paul's my guy, all right? Uh, but Paul here, as he's beginning to describe how he's been imprisoned for the Gentiles... He starts to take a turn to describe to them what his ministry to them is. This is the next part. Write this down. Paul then goes into his perspective on his ministry. This is, we saw his perspective on his difficulty. Belong to Jesus. I'm going to trust him with it. He's going to use it. He's going to use it for you. I know that he's good. I trust his character. And then Paul, kind of on a spirit-led tangent, begins to give his perspective on his ministry. And he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. Then he's going to stop. He's speaking to the Gentiles. He just told them, you're no longer strangers. You're a part of the family of God. And I want to remind you, he says this, if indeed, let's just stop for a second. Let me just assume that you've heard of the dispensation or the stewardship that God has entrusted me. He's entrusted me by his grace. He, he gave me something for you. He's talking about his ministry. How by revelation, he made known to me the mystery or something that was hidden. God opened Paul's eyes to see God's plan all along, which was that every single human on earth, despite Jew or Gentile, would gain access to God through faith in Jesus. Paul's like, this revelation has been given to me. Then Paul's like, I love how he says this. He's like, I've briefly written about this already. 
But when you read, you'll understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. You just got to read about it and you'll find out about it, he says. He says, this mystery in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. God purposely, progressively revealed his plan for the world. And it was revealed to Paul that that gospel, the good news of God, was not just for the Jew, but it was for the Gentile, for all nations. And it has now been revealed by his spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And here's what it is. Notice there's a colon there. That the Gentile should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. We, we studied all of this in depth last week. That there is now no longer male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We are all now one in Christ through the gospel, the middle wall of separation that creates classes and systems and segregations among us it is, is obliterated. And we now all come as sinners saved by grace through Jesus. No matter our religious or irreligious background, we're all saved and adopted in the family of God the same way through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. And we, even as Gentiles, we, we grab a full handful of the promises of God, even to Israel. We, we adopt God's heart for Israel as his heart for us. Paul says, this is the gospel of which, notice this, I became a minister. This is my ministry, to proclaim this good news to the whole world. It's the ministry, he says, that's according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given to me by the effective working of his power. Notice this, to me. Paul's like, this has been given to me. He's like, to me, God gave me this grace, who is less than the least of all the saints. So who's ever like least worthy among you, Paul says, I'm less than that guy. He's like, I'm the one who's been given this ministry, which is crazy. It's all grace that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus. So these are a lot of words. I actually want to commend Christina for reading it. She did a really great job. This is a tough one. It's kind of all over the place where Paul is in his own way unpacking the ministry that God has given him. This ministry to the Gentiles, to preach. I love what he says there, the unsearchable riches of Christ to proclaim the good, that, that's, that's what we do. We don't preach ourselves, we preach Jesus. We're like, look at him and look at what he's done for you, both Jew and Gentile. All can come to God through faith in him. Now, I want you to notice what's maybe a bit hidden at first glance, but is really the point of what Paul is unpacking here. In this passage, you don't only have the specs of Paul's ministry. Again, you have Paul's perspective on his ministry. Paul is certainly saying, here's what God has told me to do. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I have been asking God that question for a long time. Okay. God, what have you given me to do? Uh, Paul unpacks that. He's like, here's my confidence. Here's what I am called by God to do. But I want you to notice about Paul's ministry, about his perspective, is Paul had a perspective of his ministry as being this, understand this, a stewardship of grace. This is a key phrase you got to lock onto. Let this settle in your heart. Paul didn't earn a ministry. He didn't, get a, he didn't degree his way into ministry. Um, Paul didn't graduate his way into ministry. He didn't serve his way into a ministry. You know, if you, if you serve here long enough, actually, if you do setup team for five years, then you'll really get the good stuff. Then you, you could start talking with a microphone in your hand. Like, these systems we create in church about ministry, these false ideas that the Bible doesn't give us. 
Paul communicates a very specific, important perspective about his ministry. Paul says, here's what my ministry is, okay? It's to preach to the Gentiles. But what's more important than the details of my ministry is the nature of it. Paul's like, I don't deserve to be here, okay? Paul's like, my ministry has been entrusted to me by grace. God in his grace saved me, and then he sent me out to serve him. And in his grace, listen closely, he has entrusted a ministry to me. Listen, in his grace, he has entrusted you with something. Don't forget it's grace. But in his grace, he has entrusted you with something. This was earlier in chapter two, remember this? The context here of chapter two is you've been saved by grace, not by works, but for great works. We are his workmanship. We are his poem. We are his work of verbal artistry. God has done something magnificent in our lives so that who we are in Christ is is something way beyond any earthly perspective. And who we are in him, listen, this is who you are in him. You are new in him and you have been created in Christ Jesus for something good and special that you have been graced to do. You have a grace for something. Something that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I can't walk in what you have been graced to do. You can't walk in what I have been graced to do. We're not meant to walk in each other's callings. We're meant to walk with one another, to lift up one another. Here's what we're called to do. Here's what you and I need to do. We need to ask God to help us do three things when it comes to our own stewardship of grace. Maybe today you're here and you're like, yeah, this is, this is a great reminder because, you know, maybe you could write your own Ephesians 3 of your own life and it would take you 13 verses to say all the things that God has put you on earth to do. You're like, these are my people. These are the problems. This is my ministry. Hey, oh. Or maybe you're like most of us in the room and you're like, I, I know I'm supposed to love God and love people. That's about it. You ever been there though? Where you're like, you're seeking find your ministry. And uh, that would be the first of three things. Write these three things down. What should you do for your stewardship of grace? Three things. Find it, frame it, fulfill it. God has graced you with a ministry. You got to find it. You got to find it. Now, I think the key to finding your ministry is this question. What has found you? What has found you? So so here's how you find what you've been graced to do. Prayerfully, in prayer, ask God to, to show you what's found you. Look within. What kind of passions have found you? Do you find that like you're particularly passionate about something that other people aren't as passionate and you get a little frustrated because you're like, why does everybody care about this? It's kind of important. And usually it's not a matter of like virtue and a lack of spirituality. It's a matter of diversity in the body where God gives us all different core passions to be complementary to one another. So most church splits are just over biblical values (laughs) that we can't just like work together on. Do you know what I'm saying? No? Okay, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's like, it's okay. That was awesome. You gotta find what you've been graced to do. What's found you? What passions? What experiences? Listen to this. What pain has found you? 
There's a whole lot of ministry that's wrapped up in misery. If we could just see it through that lens. Find, what's found you? What people have found you? People. That's what God cares about, people. You begin to ask this question. In fact, this is like, and I found this to be so true, it makes it easier. You just prayerfully start to be about what's around you. I, like, I get this a lot from people. They're like, hey, how did you, Andrew, how did you get into ministry? How'd you get into it? And I'm like, get into it. Nobody wants to get into ministry after two years. And I, and I usually, I've learned to say this. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't really get into ministry. Ministry got into me. It's like, it's what I, it's just serving God in this way is, is all I know. It's, what I, it's what's found me. I didn't graduate my way into ministry. So what's found you? Who's found you? What problems are within you? You don't have to look too far. Number two, you got to frame it. Find the thing that God has graced you to do. And can I also say this? It doesn't always look like neat and tidy. It, it doesn't always end up on a mission statement paper. Like it could in a season, but sometimes it's broad. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's also not yet. It's like, this is kind of, but, but begin to find it. Begin to work with, walk with God and, and, and talk with him and let him talk to you and show you what he's put in you and what he's put around you. But you have to do what Paul did here. He's like, God has given me something, but, but notice what Paul does here. He frames it. He frames it. He's like, this thing is a ministry of grace. The reason why most of us are not living into the stewardship of grace that God has given us is not because we haven't found our ministry, it's because we haven't framed our ministry. And so we're at home and we're exhausted and we're, we're feeding and leading the same kids day in and day out. We're, you know, we're constant referees at home or we're at work where we're clocking in for our nine to five and we're dealing with the same old clients every day. And, and what we've done is we sort of relegated the secular things and the natural things from the spiritual things. But I'm telling you, if you would just frame where you are with some fresh eyes, you'll find that your job becomes a ministry. You'll, you'll find that, listen to this, there's a reason for your resistance at home because you're not just a mom, you're not just a dad, you're not just trying to keep a marriage together. You are in min you've been graced with ministry at home and it's valuable and God wants to use you. Frame it. You, you, sometimes, by the way, you have to reframe it. Like, you know, like on your phone, you have like all your photos and then when you post it, you framed it. Well, I guess it, here's like, check this out. I got an object lesson. This is a literal frame, okay? There's Judah. So this is what you used to frame photos with back in the day. This is a, this is a frame, is what it is. <laughs> and sometimes what you have to do with your, your, your life is you have to reframe it and say, wow, what not, this is not just another day. This is another day to walk in what God has prepared for me. And then you gotta fulfill it. You, just, you have to do it. You have to walk in it. You have to walk in it. You can't wait for someone else to show up to tell you to walk in it. You can't wait for someone to give you permission to do what God has called you to do. You've got to walk in it. You've got to follow him, fulfill it. All right, let's wrap these up. Lastly, or no, almost lastly. Like I said, final four, FAU. Okay, number three. <laughs> Paul's perspective on his identity. We have Paul's perspective on his difficulty. Paul's like, this prison cell doesn't define me. I'm not imprisoned by my circumstance. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Whatever he has for me, I'm going to trust him. He's good. Then we see Paul's perspective on his ministry. He's like, I've been graced by God to do this. I didn't fall into it. It fell into me. I didn't have to go near and wide to find it. It found me. 
I frame it in that way. It's the ministry of grace. And then we see Paul kind of unpack a little bit more. I love this. And we go back to these verses where Paul gives a perspective on who he is, his identity. Notice where he says about himself. I love this. Paul says, I am less than the least of all the saints. Like some of us have found our ministry, but we're stuck on, on broken identity, which is hindering us from fulfilling what God has called us to do because we're making what, what we're called to do based on us in some way, based on being good enough or whatever the, the sort of fill in the blanks that we put in, the, the different aspects of our brokenness that we disqualify ourselves with, which God often uses as, as almost like a, um, an enhancement pedal on our, our ministries. And the healthiest thing about Paul's ministry was his identity. The healthiest thing about any leader's ministry is their identity. It's not their productivity, okay? The healthiest aspect of your ministry is your secure identity, knowing who you are. Paul, Paul has been on a journey, by the way, to know who he is. If there's anybody who has gone on the journey of life trying to find a confidence in who they are, it's Paul. Which might seem contradictory because here's Paul and he's like, I am less, here's who I am. I am less than the least of all the saints. Um, this is interesting, right? It's like, we're supposed to rely on Paul for theological truth, but this isn't true, is it? Like, theologically, in Christ, theologically, through the gospel, nobody can actually say that. There's nobody in this room that can say, I am uh, more than the most. Nor through Christ can anyone say, I am less than the least. If we're talking about worthiness, we all say, we are all sinners before God in need of his grace. But because Paul knew grace, Paul could live within the social structures of society and he could go right into that thing knowing who he was in God, he could go right in as a servant. He didn't need to have a position to find an identity. He didn't need to be served to feel like someone. He knew, he knew that it was all grace. I mean, Paul's the one who, like he's done the journey of trying to earn his identity, right? Remember this, Philippians 3, Paul, Paul like lived most of his life uh, finding his identity in his positive performance. We all do that too. That's broken identity, by the way. Inasmuch as it's broken for you to be defined by your failures, it's as broken to be defined by your successes. And to think that you are who you are because of what you've produced. Paul's like, I've done that. If anybody wants to play that whole game of like who's earned their, their relationship with God, Paul's like, if that was the thing, Paul's like, right here. National champion, not even final four. I'm there alone, okay? I play myself in the final. That's like how good he is. I don't know what that, make, that, that means, but you get it, okay? Paul's like, I've climbed the ladder, but it's nothing. It's a ladder that just has a top that's nowhere close to heaven. Until Paul met Jesus and he saw who he was. This is huge. This is when you start to get closer to your identity, where, where you move away from defining yourself in comparison to other people. Like, oh, I think I know who I am. Why? Because I've watched who they are and I'm not like them. And you can be like, I found who I am. And we can live our whole lives playing this game, trying to derive an identity based on comparison. And it wasn't until Paul began to compare himself to the righteousness of Jesus that he was like, yeah, I fall short. I'm not as awesome as I've worked myself up to be. I need grace. So Paul's been on this journey and we all go on this journey. One day we're, we're feeling strong because we, we've, we've nailed it. 
we've had our quiet time, we've, we've, uh, we have had self-control over our chosen sins, we feel a sense of accomplishment and victory, and then the next day, when you have your bad hair day, okay, when everything goes wrong, you don't have your quiet time, you have nothing but loud time, okay, and it's just chaos, you start to go, well, who, who am I? And listen, if you are, if, if, I'm telling you, if you live your life searching for an identity in your performance, you will live on a roller coaster. Jesus has so much, has something so much better on offer, doesn't he? He's like, just be defined by grace. Don't try to earn your way here and don't try to grovel in, in self-pity. Know who you are apart from me, and then recognize who you become in me. Paul had a great perspective on his identity. He was defined by grace. Let's close with this last one. Paul's perspective on his community. Paul's perspective on his community. A lot of perspective that Paul has given us. The Lord has opened this guy's eyes to see difficulty in a new way, to see his ministry in a fresh way, to see his identity through the lens of the gospel. But we also see that God has given Paul special eyes to see his community, which is the church, which is this church at Ephesus. This is his community. As Paul is unpacking what his ministry is, he takes another turn. Next week, we're going to be back at square one where he started. But Paul takes a turn here in verse 9, and he's describing, again, this thing that God has given him to do, which is to preach grace to the nations, to everybody. And he says, I'm here to make all see, verse 9, what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning it's been hidden by God who created all things through Jesus. And and now Paul shifts and and he starts to now include the whole church in this ministry. This is really interesting. Paul gives a perspective on the church that maybe we don't naturally think about with souls. We're like, oh, five-year anniversary, this little church here in Boca, cute little middle school. We'll pray for them. We can have our own ideas and perspectives about the church. But look at Paul's perspective on the church. He says, to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God, look at this, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This is a sneaky verse, okay? You can fly through this passage and not see an absolute bomb of theology, Like, I don't know about you, I don't normally, even showing up on a Sunday, getting ready to lead and preach, I don't think, like, I'm about to go into this gathering. Whereas a community, as we're here, we are here to educate spiritual beings. What? Like, this is crazy. Paul's like, God's plan all along was to use the church to teach the angels something about my love for humanity. As Peter will say, the angels desire to look into our lives. And the, the phrase there, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, it's not just the, the positive spiritual realm. This is also the negative fallen demonic realm. This is the spiritual realm in contest with one another. Really, there's no contest we know at the end of the day. We know the end of the story. But, but what, a, what a vision of the church. I don't think about the church this way. We exist to broadcast the glory and goodness of God, not just to the world, but to the spiritual world as well. This will change how we think about church. This will change how we think about our lives. We, we can often have a perspective about church as kind of this service we attend. 
as this organization we follow, as this ministry that does some things. Um, can I just give us this as we close out? Can I give you uh, four key things about the church? Here's what we're here to do. The church exists to evangelize and disciple the nations. We're here, uh, Solace Church in Boca Raton, as a small expression of this global and universal purpose. We're here to evangelize and disciple the nations. Uh, the church exists to propagate truth, no matter the cost. This is the church, not just another service. But the church is, from God's plan from eternity past, is a group of people that exist, uh, Paul says to Timothy, to be the pillar and ground of truth. Which means that like, if there's people in culture that are trying to grab onto truth and, they, and there, there's like no truth to be found, because we live in a, a day and age of moral relativism where there is no absolutes except the fact that there's no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? I don't know, okay. And the church exists to be an oasis in a truthless desert where people can come to know who they are, not just in perspective, but in truth. The truth of the gospel. The church exists to embody the ministry and the care of Jesus in culture, to be his body. And the church exists to educate. This, is not, this was not on my list like uh, this morning. If you're like, hey, what are, the, what, are the, you know, what are the four main things that the church does? I wanna be like, oh, we're here to teach angel stuff. We're like their educators, you know? But, but this understanding that Paul gives us, it causes us to lift our eyes to see above and beyond anything we would naturally see. I'm gonna invite the band to come out and here's where we're gonna close, all right? Uh, a lot of stuff covered here in this passage. Again, we talked about difficulty. We talked about ministry. We talked about Paul's perspective on his identity. Paul then shares his perspective on the church, his community, but this all comes back to this verse in Luke, Luke 4. We see that this is one of the main things that Jesus is up to. Like maybe today, that's again your question. Like, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And from the authority of God's word, I wanna be able to say to you today that I can guarantee you that if there's one thing that God is up to, it's he's seeking to open your eyes to see things in your life that you wouldn't see in the natural. There's more to your identity than the shame that you see, right? There's more to, the, more to your ministry than the comparison game you play. There's a grace he's given you right where you are doing what you're doing, something he's gifted you to do. There, there's more to your difficulty than what meets the eye. If you would allow him to open your eyes and just spend some time with him saying, God, show me what you're doing through this. Show me that you are working through this, even if you don't exactly tell me how. And Lord, there's more to your church than just a gathering on Sunday. What we're a part of here is significantly spiritual. What we're a part of in life, what we're alive for, it's not boring, it's not meaningless. It's eternal. There are eternal things at stake with our lives. And so we, we want to close by coming to Jesus and asking him to open our eyes, to give us recovery of sight if we lost it.